morning. Good morning. We're going to continue our study in the book of Genesis this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, let's look in Genesis chapter 21. It's going to be an exciting chapter because we've been waiting months and months and months for the birth of Isaac, and we finally have arrived to his birth. So Genesis chapter 21. Um, at first, I was back and forth. Do I want to do half of the chapter, do it all? But I think it works together to do it all because what's going to happen to Bethesda, um, I mean, Bathsheba, uh, is going to relate to the promise that God has given to Isaac. So let me read chapter 21 and we get right into it, um, right into our test today. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 21 in Genesis. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham his son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he, had, when he was eight, years, eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse eight, and the child, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because his, he is your offspring. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she pulled the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good ways off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. That God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy drink. And God was with the boy and grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became the expert with the bow. He lived with the wilderness in Paran, and her mother and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At, the, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all what you do. 
Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you would not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And verse 25 to 34 gets with Abraham and Blimelech makes a covenant with each other. But let me pray for us. And I know many of you guys are saying, what is that going on? I don't know, have a clue of who Abraham is. I don't have a clue about the Bible is. Let me pray for us and let's kind of walk through this together. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord, to bring us back um, to your word for us, Lord, to grow, to know you, Lord, to submit to you, Lord, to grow in wisdom like right now at this time. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to let your word, Lord, uh, reveal to us, Lord, your goodness, Lord, your attributes at this time. And for all of us in this room, Lord, let us leave this place shouting that we serve a good God. But for those that are here that's not believers, Lord, I pray that your word is preached profoundly, that many, Lord, leave this place believing in the true gospel. But, Lord, give me strength and areas my weakness that I can be faithful to your word. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. I remember um, for a few years ago when uh, we got a, a new car. Well, not a new car, a used car. I mean, we don't have money like several of y'all in here to buy new cars. Uh, so we got a used car, and when we bought this, this, this car, all of a sudden, we start to identify the same model car everywhere around us. Have you noticed that when you got a new car, at first, before you had the car, you didn't observe how many, how many of those cars was in your area? Well, when they got our new car, we was able to see, like, everybody got this car. Why did we even get this type of car? We should have got something else to be different. This had me thinking about our text today. Once we saw Abraham unfaithfulness in Genesis 12, God showed up with faithfulness every single time. When you saw Abraham in 12 doubting the Lord, the Lord comes back and gives him the promise again. Then Abraham doubt the Lord again in Genesis 13. The Lord comes back with faithfulness again. Amen. So the Lord has the Lord open our eyes in a way of Abraham brokenness. He also opened our eyes to his promises. And we can start identifying his promises everywhere throughout the text. Well, today is it's going to be very similar. Today we'll see also an example of how God is faithful to unfaithful people. God is faithful to unfaithful people. And all of us in this room, regardless of your background, we all have struggled with things in life. We all have a background in here. but so, so you are included into this great story of unfaithful people. But also, you also can be included to a glorious story of a faithful God here today. So how, did this, how are we going to do it today? We're going to do it in three points today. How God keeps his promise. God preserved the promised child by separating Isaac and Ishmael. And the last point is going to be Abimelech acknowledged God is with Abraham. So to jump to point number one, God keeps his promise. The Lord visited Sarah as he, he has said. The Lord has been telling Sarah and Abraham a long time ago, a child is coming. A child is coming. But due to the son not coming fast enough for them, the couple made a mess out of it. When God said, I'm going to give you a child, they was thinking that God was going to give them a child within, what, 10 months of a pregnancy, right? But God didn't give them a child in 10 months. Family, it's 20 years now past. God said he's going to give them something, and things have passed, and things are not making sense for them. And we can relate to that, can't we? When things doesn't make sense, 
And we think like God has things lined out for us and it doesn't make sense. A lot of times we put ourselves in the place of God and we make a mess of it, don't we? So how did they respond? They respond with this anxious character. They respond in a way that dishonored the Lord. So when things are not going in favor, they're favoring those certain moments, they rely on the flesh. But God is asking us to wait on the Lord when it seems so difficult. Tony Evans said this right here. Whenever it looks like your God has gone to sleep on you, know that he has a purpose in mind. Let me say this again. Whenever it looks like your God has gone to sleep on you, know that he had a purpose in mind. He hasn't forgotten where you are. He hasn't stopped caring. He wants to see what you are going to do with his word when the storm hits. Storm is faithful and trying to come your way. The Lord wants to see how you're going to draw near to his word in the midst of that. We also make God's purpose a trial secondary by continuing in fear when we get anxious. Because we are thinking the entire time, the Lord, make it stop, make it stop. Why we got to continue, Lord, going through this? Can you stop? Can you stop this right now? And so what will happen is that fear makes the trials, what we're going through, fear becomes primary instead of seeing the purpose of God in this is something far much better. So we make fear and doubting primary. We must always make God purpose in our trials primary. And what is God purpose in the trials? In our trials? For our heart to be continually rooted in him. Amen. That's why trials come our way. I got a phone call last night and someone was asking me about a situation they was going through. And they was mentioning and describing like, hey, this person is doing all these other things and you're like, God is blessing them. But what about me? I'm, I'm trying to raise my family faithfully. But what about me trying to do things right? It's like I keep getting hit left and right. And a lot of times when we start to ask those questions, a lot of times we start to come to the conclusion is that our life is just full of failures. That we have a whole life of disappointment. God is not using this right now for us. But I would say, family, don't buy into that lie. God is using that moment for his glory. Things might not add up. It might not look pretty. It might not look what you imagine to look. But God's wisdom surpasses your wisdom. God uses the most ugliest things to make us more like him. And I know for you guys, let me speak for myself. I know my heart constantly want to go to fear. I know my heart constantly want to go to doubt. My heart. Because thing doesn't work out for me. But I have to hold on to God's promises in his word. That God would do what he said he was going to do. That he will be faithful even when my mind tried to convince me that he's not going to be faithful. That he is going to be faithful. And how do we know this? He did it in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Look at the rest of verse 1. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. What did he promise? That they're going to have a child. Look at verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time when God had spoken to him. The promised child is born after probably over 20 years for them praying and waiting for a child. And he's born. And the son's name is Isaac. 
Isaac in Hebrew is the word laughter. How Sarah laughed at God earlier for saying that she was too old to bear a child. She laughed at God. So God has a sense of humor here and said, well, this son is going to be laughter because you mock me in this moment. So God gave them Isaac. And for them never to forget that they laughed at God and doubted the Lord promises. Now they have the son before them. But also we can see here for us to prepare, for us to be able to prepare that even when Sarah was bearing all these years without a child, God was already preparing us for the impossible to happen. That the story of Mary, the Virgin Mary, right? That the impossible story, how can a virgin become pregnant, right? Sarah and many bearing women that, that couldn't have children pointing us the entire time to the supernatural power of God power of God, that one day is one that's going to be a supernatural birth. So even in the midst of barren stories throughout the Old Testament, with Isaac, even in the midst of that trial, they're just waiting for a child to be going, born, God was already trying to prepare them for something even greater, that is going to be one that cannot, what that's not going to be with man, is going to bear a child. There's no way that Abraham and Sarah can come to that conclusion. Because they was worrying so much about them in this moment is that God is going to give them a child and the child is not born right now. They was thinking that God is not keeping his promise and they was missing out on the goodness of all of this is that God is going to use this barren story later. That later there's going to be Mary. There's not going to be have a husband at the time and she's going to be pregnant with a child. Family, I think the same thing for us. When we are blinded by fear, when we are blinded of what's going to happen tomorrow in our lives, we're blind on what's going to happen in our relationship and job. A lot of times fear causes us to forget the promise of God said is that he would never leave us or forsake us. Fear overclouds that and we start doubting the Lord. And we don't keep that as the promises as the center, but we keep doubting and fear as the center. In the Hebrew and Old Testament, it's this Hebrew phrase called a cohortive. Cohortive is, is words like Asaph will use. And Asaph said that, I wish I can trust the Lord. I wish. What he's doing there is that he cannot trust the Lord in that moment because fear is so consuming in his life. It's everywhere in the book of Psalms, the word cohortive. A lot of times it seems like they're just, for their moment, they're just doubting, but they're not just doubting. What happened is that they're trying to trust the Lord, but the circumstance is fighting against the belief. It's a wrestle. We all can go through that, don't we? The, the struggles of trying to trust the Lord. Because the Lord, for us, we want the Lord to give things so plain to us, right? This is exactly how it's going to be. It doesn't work out like that at times. And when we do that, we forget the promises, what God has already said here. So Sarah was blinded because of her fear. And Sarah even mentioned this in verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah, would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in old age. A son named laughter for a laughing moment. God sits a human here, but this human is a blessing for judgment on Sarah. That she is blessed because God's allowing her to be a part of the seed 
that eventually would come and bring the Messiah. Because in any type of the child to be born is Jesus. The whole focus right now we see is Isaac is born, but Isaac points to a better son, a better offspring to get born. Just how the Lord visited Sarah to foretell the birth of Isaac. The Lord visited Zechariah to foretell the birth of John the Baptist. You guys remember also the, the angel Gabriel came to Ashul Mary, been sent out by the Lord to reveal to Mary that a son is going to be going born. I really do think that the story of Isaac and Abraham and Sarah is pointing to Jesus. God has always given us heads up on his promises. And it does the same thing through his world. This is the world today. Did he let us know the future? What do you know? Let us know it's in the future through his word. It's going to come back again. That he won't put too much on us that we can't bear. All these promises he gives to us is there right before us because he knows what we're about to be ready to go through. So those waiting and anticipating Jesus' return, that one day he's going to come back, but he's not going to come back until all those who were set out for the Father will come to him. He has given us all these truths, these promises. A lot of times when trial comes, we say, Lord, take us home. I can't face this anymore. I'm tired of this life. But the Lord said he's only going to come back once when the whole world that is saved by him, the ones that were set out by the Father. So family, God will keep his promise. And also the birth of Isaac gets us ready for the coming of Jesus. Look at verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made great feasts on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now the torch eventually about to pass from Abraham to Isaac now. Now Isaac about to grow in wisdom as well, just like Abraham grew in wisdom. And it was weaned, weaned probably over two to three years. Now he's getting ready to eat regular food. And preparing, and they also had a great feast. Point number two God preserved the promised child by separating Isaac and Ishmael. So we see God already gave a promise, He gave them a promised child, but how is God going to secure this promise now? God's going to have to separate them. God didn't just give us the promise of the child of Isaac, but He continued to point it to a greater promise. And we see this also in our, how now Ishmael is separate from Isaac. This happened after Sarah saw Ishmael laughing now. Sarah was laughing. Abraham was laughing. Now we see Ishmael laughing. There was a form of taunting now. Possibly relating to that, Isaac has to share the promise with Ishmael. So Isaac was like, hey, Isaac probably about what, 13, 12, 15 years old now? Isaac was like, hey, I mean, Ishmael, I mean, Ishmael's about 12, 13 years old. Ishmael's like, yes, the promise got to be shared with me. He is probably boasting about now that he's going to get the promises with Isaac. But we know the promises belong to Isaac, not Ishmael. Amen. So what happened here is that Sarah, Sarah sees this, and Sarah now wants to cast out the child. So she said to Abraham, cast this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. This seemed kind of harsh, isn't it? Sarah, this is just a, you know, uh, this is, his other wife, and this is the child. Why would you want to cast them out? Well, Sarah's shortcomings here. Sarah was, Sarah was thinking about herself in this, probably. She was thinking about herself as that for her, she wanted to judge him for laughing at her son. 
That's the amazing thing, though, about this. Even in the midst of Sarah's intention, God turns around to still reveal his glory. Sarah didn't want to share anything with Ishmael. But God reveals to us two things by casting out Ishmael. The first thing we see here, God allowed Ishmael to leave to focus on the true promised offspring of Christ to come. That's amazing, though, is that how people's intentions might be there to harm you. People might not be in your life to, to better help you. People might have all these bad intentions and might use so many things against you. But it's amazing how God intervened and turned things for our good. It happens often in the Christian life. When things bad happen in our life, a lot of times we think it's so bad that we can't overcome it. But God turned around and allowed that bad circumstance to be used to conform us to him. Amen. That's amazing of his wisdom. I think that what it come down to is that the song said, all we do is win, win, win. Is that what it is, Jacob? No matter what. No matter what. That all we do is win. So no matter what the world may bring against us, family, we win because God turns it around to make us more like Jesus. No matter what it is. That's the promises, that's the benefits we get in Christ. That the evil deeds of others, nothing but make us stronger. I think T.I. had a phrase in there, but I don't know the rest of the phrase about making stronger. I know y'all probably know it. The second thing we can learn from this is this. Paul in the New Testament lets us know that Abraham having a baby by Hagar was not the promise, but was of flesh. You guys saw that Abraham should have waited and had a baby with his wife, Sarah. But God wasn't fast enough. So Abraham had a baby by the, maid, uh, the maidservant, which is Hagar. Now, Agar's son, Ishmael, became this counterfeit son. He was not the real son, but the real son was be Isaac. Well, Paul uses this as an illustration in Galatians 4. That Hagar and Ishmael represent the children of the flesh, the children of the law. But Abraham, baby, with Sarah, points to the promise we represent free from the law. You can read this in Galatians 4, 22 to 31. So Ishmael's cast out points to not being enslaved to the law. But Abraham was depleted. I mean, Isaac, I mean, Ishmael cast out points to those that are still enslaved to the law. But Isaac's birth points to that we are free from the law. So God even used this story as this type and anti-type. A glorious picture here. God is losing this story to let us see our freedom in Christ. So Abraham was displeased, though. He said, Sarah, no way. This is my child. Even though I sinned against the Lord, this is my child. There's no way I can cast this child out. Abraham was caught up in a moment. He forgot that Isaac was the promised seed. So he probably wanted to share this with Isaac. So Abraham, I mean, share this with Ishmael. So Abraham thinking that, hey, both my sons, can both of them have a promise? So God comes to him in verse 12. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Even though Sarah's intention probably wasn't the best, 
God allowed her shortcomings to push us closer to the promised Christ. Ishmael probably would have stayed a lot longer if he, if he didn't laugh. He probably would have stayed alone. He probably never got kicked out of the house. Sarah probably had one big family, Kumbaya family together. But through his mocking and laughing and through Sarah pride, in the midst of all that, God allowed them to do all these things to separate them. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. How God used the, the flawed characters of people to bear the result himself. Isn't that happened with Pharaoh and, and the Exodus? I mean, they were eating good in the Exodus. When, when, when Joseph came to the throne, they had the land in Goshen. The Israelite people were eating good. They had the fat of the land. All the good things in the land, they was comfortable. But what did God do? God raised up a bad Pharaoh. He allowed bad Pharaoh to be able to make them uncomfortable because if Israel was so comfortable in Egypt, how would they ever have a child to be born in Bethlehem? So God made them uncomfortable by raising up things. So family, if you can see this common trend with God, God allow everything that's happening in your life, God allows it to happen. Not in any way that God causes or say in a way that God make evil to happen. But what God does, God allow those things to happen. It's no coincidence why things happen. For God to move us in a way and places and places where we'll never be if he doesn't shake us up. So what happened here? Sarah and Abraham have to kick out the son. The Lord allowed the laugh to happen for Sarah to react and impulsively to kick them out. So Sarah pushed out the son, which gave clarity to the world at the time that the promise belonged to Isaac and not Ishmael. Now this is the clear boldness that Isaac is the child. This is the promised child. So again, family, God uses all of our bad and impulse decisions for his own glory. So fam, we don't have to keep our heads down in disappointment. Yeah, we messed up. Some of us probably messed up this morning. Some of us probably messed up last night. We don't have to keep our head down. Even in the midst of that disappointment, he's going to turn it around, fam. He's going to turn it around. That's his nature for it. And his goodness towards his church and his believers. He turned our failures into tools of discipleship. So when Sarah kicked out Hagar, Hagar fled to Bathsheba. And when Hagar thought Ishmael was going to die for the lack of water, the Lord gave them a well to drink from it. And she cried out in the word that we know is one of the shortest verses in the New Testament, how Jesus wept. Sarah well as well. Even in Sarah not being a promised child or the promised wife, God still heard her cry. He still heard her cry in the midst of that. And God still blessed her. Brings to the last point here. Now we get introduced now in the last point back to Abimelech again. Abimelech was the one that Abraham lied to and said that Sarah was his sister. And he used that to be able to, he was fearful of Abimelech. But all the people to run into again, he run into Abimelech again. This is what happened. When Hagar ran off, she ran to a place called Bathsheba and was the well there. When actually Hagar and Ishmael ran out of water, they didn't have anything else. They thought that, that Ishmael was going to die from dehydration. But the Lord opened her eyes and told her, look over. And that's the well. And that well was a well of Bathsheba. 
Well, guess who this well say they belong to? Abimelech. Abimelech is like, hold on, this is my land here. In the midst of this, now it's confusion as how it happened again. It's amazing though is that how God already went before Hagar and Ishmael in the previous chapter. What I mean by this is that when Abraham encountered Abimelech, Abimelech found out Abraham was sent out by God. That he was a man of God. And Abraham, when he figured that out, Abraham, because of all the women that was in the country, I think Agirar, where Abimelech was at, none of the women can have children because Sarah was there. And because he, because Abimelech brought Sarah in to almost make her one of his wives. But when actually Abimelech found out that Sarah belonged to Abraham, he was able to give Sarah back to Abraham and the wives was able to have babies. Then, Abraham, then, then Abimelech was saying that, hey, let me give you things. So Abimelech blessed Abraham because Abraham was sent out by God. But also we see here today, Abimelech knew to respect Abraham. So when it came down to land, when, Abraham, when Abimelech learned that this was Hagar and Ishmael and learned about the land, Abraham made a covenant with him again. And, and, and Abimelech didn't want no problems with Abraham. And so what happened was, was that Abraham made a covenant and the well was given back to Abraham. Why was that? So Ishmael and Hagar can thrive. I think we can learn something even from this part. I think his name Dietrich Haddon. Is that his name, the singer? Uh, what Markel, that's his name. God is able to do just what he said he would do. He's going to fulfill every promise to you. Don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. Y'all know the song? He's able. Uh, he's able. He's able. He's able. There you go. There's another song with Fred Hammond. I think Greg knows Fred Hammond. No weapons formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. God will do what he said he would do. He's not a man that he should lie. Stand by his word. He will come through. Say God will do what he said he would do. He will stand by his word. He will come through. Amen. Oh, I won't be afraid of the arrows by day. Is this the same song? Yeah. Okay. From the land of my enemy, I can stand on my ground with the Lord on my side. You hear that, Daisy? For the snares they have set will not succeed. Family, God has said he's going to make a nation out of Ishmael, even not to be in a promised seed. He even now gives them a well for them to be able to, to, be able to thrive in here. Family, God is faithful. Amen. Even in the midst when we are unfaithful. That's the good thing about God is that God is not like one of our friends. That likes us when we are doing things for them. They're our best friend when we are Setting them up, right? For the best, I mean, setting them up for things. God is so much different. He loves us when we don't love him. He loves us when we turn our back on him. He loves us even when we don't read our Bibles. He loves us in the midst of all those things. Family, that's the God we serve. And that's the God that gave the promise to Abraham. And the God that gave also the promise also to to Hagar and Ishmael, that they will be a united nation, even though they're not the true promised nation.
So as we end here in three points, Ja'Kayla looking at her time right now. What is something that God promised us that you are waiting on right now? Ask yourself that question. What is something that God has promised us that you're waiting on right now? Are you okay not getting it right now? Because he will fulfill that promise on his own timing. Because he knows what's best. It's okay. It's okay not getting it right now. Because he's doing something that you don't see. He will always do it on his own perfect timing. Application number two. God sometimes takes things away in our lives that work against him fulfilling his promises. Did y'all hear that? God sometimes takes things away in our lives that work against him fulfilling his promise. That's the reason why some of us quit jobs. It's the reason for us. With many things and trials that come in our life, that happens. It might be relationships that are important to holiness. It is something in your life you are trying to hold on that is working contrary to the promise. So something you might want to hold on to, God might allow things to come in your life so you won't hold on to it anymore. I don't know what those things are. All of us have some of them, right? We all have something in our life right now that we need to let go of. And sometimes we have a so strong grip. I don't know if y'all, some of y'all play baseball. I was one of the best baseball players around here. Y'all can Google me. Y'all would get a chance. Uh, Leander, you can Google me. But with a bat, you hold on to a grip. A lot of times we hold on to so many things so tight with grip. And sometimes it only takes trials to let it go. To let it go. Because look back over your life right now. If you would have stayed where you at and trials didn't come, you would still be there with me. Facts. I heard that. Facts. Number three, family, as you live out your life in Christ, people will be able to acknowledge the difference in you. They see how you are committed to Christ in trials. They see your vulnerability in, tr in, in troubles. They, th they see that you're not holding them down. They will see God's hand upon you. It would open up doors for evangelism. So my question is this. Are you living in obedience to Christ when trials come your way? For the unbeliever or someone around you to see that you are dealing with this in a way that I've never seen anybody deal with this. If not, you're messing up your witness to point people to Jesus. I was talking to a sister this week, and I was talking to her, and I was asking her, and she was sharing, and was hearing about her vulnerability with other people, and how other people are so encouraged but how she deals with troubles, how she deals with trials. And it's so amazing in a way of how people can be encouraged on how other believers deal with trials. So family, even when Abraham and Sarah were dealing with the trial not having a son, the world was able to see how they dealt with that. So family, even in the midst of your trials, you can get down and dirty in a way of to be vulnerable and let people know that you don't have it all together. You can let them see how you deal with it. That you are trying to trust a Savior just like them. Because, family, we need each other more than what we think. We need each other more than what we think in the midst of this. And so, as we end here, the last thing I want to say here is that for some of you guys here, like Crest, I don't know what you're talking about today. So, Abraham, Isaac, a woman supposed to be having kids. She don't have one hand on. She shouldn't have no kids and all this other stuff. I don't want to have kids. You probably think all these things was going on. Let me explain it to you here just a, just a few moments. 
So God is perfect. God is righteous. He's holy in all his ways. He's perfect. That God wasn't alone when he, when the earth wasn't created. God was okay with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God was okay, okay in eternity past. But God has goodness. God said, let me create a world and a people to see what existed right here within, my, within the Trinity. So God created us to see him, to see his glory. The best thing we can see in this world is to see God's glory. He created us to see his glory. But what happened in the world? In Genesis 3, instead of seeing God's glory, we want to glory for ourselves. We want it to be about us. Look what I have done. Look what I have achieved. We make everything about ourselves. I got more money than this person. My house is bigger than this person. This way we compare ourselves to everything in the world because now instead of us glorifying God, we glorify ourselves. Family, not just you in this room, because all of us, but everybody that walked this world besides one person. Everybody wanted to make everything about themselves but Jesus. When Jesus came into this world, he made everything about his father. Amen. He lived a perfect, righteous life that we didn't live. Lamar, all of us sinned. All of us messed up in this room. But Jesus never messed up. He was the perfect one. And by him being the perfect one, he went to the cross and died. You might ask this question, why did he die? He was perfect. We should have died. We are the ones that are imperfect. We deserve the punishment because of sin. But look what happens. Jesus went to the cross. Satan, I hear Can you help me out? 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see here, though, is that in the midst of this, is that Jesus became sin. What in the world is this? He became sin. Family, he did that to make his people righteous. So for those in this room, if you believe in that you can work yourself to God, you'll mock it and say Jesus' work wasn't good enough. But I say this to you right here today. Today is the day of salvation. I would say turn to Jesus. He's the one that has carried his sins on the cross. He's the one that died. He lived a perfect life. Let him take your sins from you and place it on himself. Because when you die, if you don't have Jesus standing before you, God will punish you forevermore in hell. So turn to Jesus today. I would love to talk to you afterwards. I'll be around afterwards. But turn to Jesus today. And as you turn to Jesus, join a people that are broken just like you. None of us is perfect. I mean, we're perfect because of what Christ has done. Outside of Christ, none of us. Perfect. So let me pray for us and let us have a little supper.